Family conflicts are always unpleasant. Family feuds sometimes even causes physical illness. Family fights are painful and distasteful. But terrible as they are, what is even worse is that there are people who dread the process of reconciliation more than the conflict itself. There are people who would rather stay apart and unreconciled simply because they see the process of reconciling to be a painful one. And that is why you find a lot of believers, Christians, find it easier to stay apart than be reconciled. Why is that? I wondered in my own mind, and I really wanted to know, in, in my own heart I began to draw back on years of ministry experience. I came to the following conclusions. Many people find it easier to keep on harboring resentment. There are many people who find it easier to keep on nursing anger. There are many people who find it easier to rationalize the reason for the fallout. Well, he did this, and she did this, and he did this, and she did this, and he said this, and, he, and they rationalize it in their minds. They comfort themselves with the rightness of their cause. They often remind themselves of their presumed innocence in the matter. But why is this? Because some people just would do anything to avoid conflict. And they'll say, it's easier this way than to reconcile. In the last message, we saw Jacob limping across the river after God touched his hip. But after God wrestled with Jacob, and God won and Jacob surrendered, after God confirmed to Jacob yet again of his plan for his life, of his plan for his future, and the fact that the Messiah will come through him. After the joy of meeting God face to face, after the joy of victory and the blessings that came from surrendering to God, now it is time for Jacob to do what he did not want to do for 20 years. <laughs> Now it's time for him to do what he dreaded doing for 20 years. What is it? Clean up the past. Clean up the past. Face his brother Esau, whom he wronged, whom he cheated 20 years earlier, from whom he stole his birthright. You remember Rebekah, Jacob's mother, when she heard Esau saying, I'm going to kill him for stealing my birthright. I'm going to kill him for taking my blessing. And she said to Jacob, go over to Paran, go over to what is modern-day Iraq today where she came from, and said, go there with my brother Laban, Jacob's uncle, and stay there until your brother's anger subsides, and then I'm going to send you a word and bring you home. As far as we know from the Scripture, she never sent for him. So, Obviously, Jacob, in his mind, does not know if his brother's anger still heated up 
or die down. He has no idea. But he knows that after meeting God, he's got to confront his past. And now Jacob faces Esau with the assurance of God's protection and God's blessing. But nonetheless, Jacob has got to clean it up. He's got to clean past sins. He had to do this past business. Beloved, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because there's one thing that believers don't seem to understand, at least modern-day believers. People in days gone by understood this biblical principle. But modern-day believers seem to kind of ignore this biblical principle altogether. And it is this. Our inward salvation, the work of God's forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, must find an outward expression of confessing to others the inward work of God in our lives by grace and the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation that we received from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ must be expressed in our outward willingness to make restitution to the ones we have wronged. The inward work of Christ in salvation and forgiveness must be manifested in our willingness not to just say sorry and move on as if nothing happened, but to right the wrong. You know, restitution is a word that is really missing from our vocabulary. Believers don't talk about restitution much, while it ought to be at the helm of all work of reconciliation. I want you to hear me right on this one. Lack of willingness to make restitution cheapens repentance. Lack of restitution throws doubt on the authenticity of repentance. Even partial restitution is not good enough. I love it when people even who are trying to make restitution, you know, have a sense of humor, or at least caught in a sense of humor. There was a story told about a farmer who became a Christian. And after he became a Christian, he read the Bible, and he read how when Zacchaeus was confronted, had a confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ in Jericho, that he said, I'll go back and repay all the people that I cheated. And he read that in the Bible, and he said, well, I better make restitution. So he went to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I tried to make restitution, and I took back the rope that I stole from my neighbor's barn, but my neighbor would not reconcile to me. And the pastor, who was a part-time farmer himself, said, "Uh, let me ask you this. Is that the only thing you really stole from your neighbor's barn? And the man kind of sheepishly says, well, no, uh, I did not return what was on the other side of the rope. (laughs) He said, well, what was on the other side of the rope? He said, my neighbor's prized calf. (laughs) He returned the rope but kept the calf. Partial restitution is not good enough. It's not good enough. I want you to turn with me, please, to Genesis 33, verse 3. Genesis 33, 3. And I want you to notice, when Jacob encountered his brother Esau, he immediately went about the task 
of making restitution. Not just say, I'm sorry. In fact, you know what? You never hear him say, I'm sorry. I'm going to come to that in a minute. But he went about the task of restitution. He bowed down seven times. Seven times he kept bowing to his brother Esau and called him, my Lord Esau. Twenty years earlier, Jacob cheated him of his birthright, stole his blessing, deceived his father. Now, after God had wrestled with Jacob, the new Jacob bows down to his brother Esau and calls him, my Lord Esau. Now, after God had changed Jacob's heart, Jacob become humble. And at the evidence of the changed heart, not only that he bowed to him seven times, the great mark of humility at that time in that part of the world, but he insisted on his brother receiving the gifts that he sent, saying, this is my way of making restitution for what had taken place 20 years ago. Beloved, I want to tell you something. If there is a repentance, there has to be a fruit of repentance. Cheap gospel, cheap repentance will not cut it. When Jacob received the forgiveness of God for his sins, he became willing to confess his sin against his brother and ask for his forgiveness. Listen, I thought about this. Jacob could have easily said, I think if Jacob lived in our modern day, Jacob could have easily said, um, he said, well, you know, God said to my mother that Esau will serve me. The article that God gave to my mother before I was born is that Esau will become servient to me. No way I'm going to bow to this guy. I have God's Word on my side. How many of us use the Word of God and twist the Word of God in order to support whatever position we're in? Jacob could have said, regardless of what I've done or have not done, Esau should have been serving me. But after Jacob's heart changed, after God touched Jacob's heart, or should I say <laughs> touched his hip, <laughs> Jacob recognizes the wrong that he had done, and he was making it right. He confessed it. He repented of it. And yes, he made restitution for it. And so Jacob bows down before his brother Esau, calling him, My Lord Esau, the greatest mark of respect and humility. And then he insisted that his brother would receive the gift. Now, beloved, I want you to listen to me. Only God knows where you are. I don't. God knows where I am. He knows my walk. He knows your walk. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And therefore, listen to me, because when God touches your heart, when God forgives your sins, when God blesses you with salvation, when God ministers to you by His grace, when God exercises mercy toward you, you must be ready to do the same. You must be willing to right the wrong, even if it takes 20 years. Let me ask you this. Are you been carrying bitterness 
in your heart for a long time? Are you carrying anger and resentment towards someone? Are you, have you sinned against someone? Have you been under conviction that you've sinned against God? Have you been under conviction that you've wronged someone, or you've taken advantage of someone, or that you have taken somebody else's property, or that you have cheated someone, or that you have cheated God of His tithe and offerings. Let me tell you on the authority of the Word of God, there is no amount of singing songs, there is no amount of Bible studies that you can go to, there is no amount of sermons that you can hear that will be able to help you or change your heart. There is no amount of rationalization and saying, well, I did this because of that, or I had to do what I had to do at the time, or anyone in my situation would have done the same. No, 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 no. That ain't going to help you. That's not going to help you. None of this will be a substitute for righting the wrong. People often say to me, well, Michael, Michael, you just don't understand my predicament. Michael, you don't really know the real world. (laughs) I think I know the real world more than they realize, but that's all right. Michael, the reality is that I took what's due to me. I gave them only what they paid me for. None of that is going to help you. None of this can cause the need for confession, repentance, and restitution be overlooked. Jacob bowed down seven times and called his brother, my Lord Esau, and insisted on him receiving the gift. Now, beloved, I want to tell you, asking for forgiveness takes humility. It really does. It takes humility. This is very important. I don't want you to miss this. (laughs) Because what we often don't understand is that when we purpose in our hearts to make restitution, when we purpose in our hearts to seek the forgiveness of those whom we have wronged, God is working on the other side as well. He's not just working on you. He's not just working on me. He's working on the other person. God is working on the other side. Let me show it to you here in the Scripture, here in Genesis 33. Well, actually, everything we know that we've been seeing through this series of messages about Brother Esau is that he was godless. He did not fear God. He was into himself. He was into instant gratification. He was rough and tough and wild. (laughs) I mean, that's all we know about the guy. But God had already gone ahead of Jacob and changed even Esau's heart and prepared Esau's heart to forgive his brother. And when you purpose in your heart to right the wrong, God will go ahead of you. He'll prepare the other person's heart. God will go ahead of you and work things out to surprise you. In fact, I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, and if you read it yourself maybe in the past, I don't know, you may have thought about it, but let me give it to you just as a freebie here on the house. (laughs) You notice, they never talked about the past. They didn't talk about the problem. They didn't talk about the sin. They did not talk. They did not discuss the old hurt. 
They never let it all hang out like we do. <laughs> they never let it out of their chest as we do. They didn't. They didn't know evidence of it here at all whatsoever. You say, why not? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because most often an embrace is far more eloquent than words. And that's what happened here. That's what happened here. Beloved, before God touched Jacob's heart, as we saw in the last message, before God wrestled with Jacob and brought him to submission, Jacob sent others ahead of him. And you noticed he kept his favorite wife and favorite son behind. He sent out Leah and her boys. <laughs> still scheming, still manipulating, still operating. The old Jacob, still going. <laughs> you know, his mind was, well, if I do this, if I do this, and if I do this, still do this, and if I do this. I mean, it's the old Jacob that we've seen him all over this time. But when God wrestled with Jacob, Jacob goes up front. He goes up front. I don't want you to miss this. Having been conquered by God, now he has new courage to face his past sins. Having been conquered by God, now he has a new strength to go and face his brother Esau. Not in his own strength, not in his own power. He would have hit 20 more years. But now he's doing it in the power of the one who conquered him. And it works the same way with us. It works the same way with us. In our reconciliation, we often forget the power of God working not just in us, but in others. I want to tell you something about resolving past conflict and about cleaning past sins, confessing past wrongs to people that you have wronged. Listen to me carefully, please. The problem with old sins and past bitterness, when they're not resolved, they do not go away. Do you know where they go? They go underground. They really do. They never go away. They go underground. Do you know why the Bible calls that the root of bitterness? How many of you have ever seen the root of a tree? Unless you dig it up, you can't see it. It goes underground, and that's what the Bible says. You can't see it. You're aware of it. Intellectually, you know there's a root to this tree. If it's a tree, it must have roots. <laughs> And you see it, and you experience it, and you, when you do things, it, it goes in your mind, and you're aware of it, but you can't see it. It goes underground. And you know what the problem is? When it goes underground, it poisons the soil, and it hurts a whole lot more people than you realize. Restoration is not easy. I'm going to tell you because I've been through it once or twice or a few times. And therefore, if you go out of here thinking that Michael said the act of restoration, reconciliation, and restitution is easy, you have misunderstood me. <laughs> I am not saying it's easy. Not at all. Bearing fruit of repentance is not a walk in the park. Listen to me. 
correcting past wrongs <laughs> can give you a dread in your heart. It can give you a horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. You can tell that I've been there. But there's no alternative. There's no alternative. Facing past sins will bring you the greatest blessing that you could ever dream of next to your salvation. On your own, it is difficult. On your own, I even dare say, it is impossible. But when you do it in Jesus' power, when you do it in Jesus' name, when you do it for Jesus' sake, you will have all the strength you will need. Because God will go ahead of you, and He will prepare others' hearts. Someone will say, uh, well, I went to that person, or what if I go to that person, and he or she refuses to forgive me? I want you to read my lips. That's not your problem anymore. It's between them and God. And leave it there. You've done your part. Now, don't go to somebody that does not know that you wronged them and confess your sin. You'll say, what are you talking about? <laughs> now, I'm talking about people who know that you've wronged them, and you know that you wronged them. Sometimes you may have wronged somebody who since died and went to be with the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. He will take care of it, as if that person's still alive today. It is very, very important to understand what I'm about to tell you. Reconciliation and restitution is more than just mouthing the words, sorry. It's more than that. Why? Because genuine repentance and restitution challenges our pride. It causes you and it causes me to humble ourselves. Jacob bowed seven times, my Lord Esau. It causes us to admit our sin, and it calls us to deal responsibly with the consequences of our actions. And that's why it is hard. On the flesh and by the flesh, it is hard. But the power of Jesus, it's easy. Repentance involves costly obedience, not merely mouthing the words. That is why genuine repentance, restitution, reconciliation, genuine repentance, it causes others to sit up and take notice. Genuine repentance is impactful on the lives of others. What happened to Bill? What happened to Michael? What happened to Sue? What happened? About ten years ago, a very prominent man in this city, and when he knelt with me in my office and gave his life to Christ, <laughs> he said publicly to thousands of people that he spent the next two weeks making phone calls, and he was willing to make whatever restitution of anyone who wronged. See, I'm sorry, just mouthing the words is not, you know, that's, that's what kids do. 
You know, I'm sure if you have kids, you, you understand what I'm talking about. And when mom and dad get involved in the problem between the two siblings, and, and you ascertain that one is wrong and one is right, and, and you say to the one who did the wrong, I said, now say sorry. I'm not going to say sorry. Well, say sorry, or you're not going to have dessert tonight. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> as soon as mom and dad leave the room, I said, I didn't mean it. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. When Esau saw his brother's true humility and confession and repentance and restitution. He was overwhelmed. What happened to my brother? (laughs) Oh, yeah. God wrestled with him last night. And God won. And he lost. Isn't that great? And so, instead of wanting to kill his brother, the Bible said he embraced him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. Beloved, one of the greatest marks of humility, one of the greatest marks of maturity in the Christian faith, is when you're able to say, I'm sorry I wronged you, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. You know, most preachers and I'm included, we often preach on the power of forgiveness. Even secular motivational speakers always tell you, when you forgive somebody, you have the upper hand, you have the healing. And I dare say that not only I preached on this, I'll be preaching on it again, and as God spares my life, keep on preaching. But you know that it's really seldom do preachers, including this one, preach on the power of asking for forgiveness. Because forgiving appeals to our pride, asking for forgiveness demolishes our pride. And the blessing of asking for forgiveness are incalculable. Peace that passes understanding, removing the shadows that are hanging over you, restoring you to a full spiritual health, but it also will bring you answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. He said, Michael, how, how did you come up with this? Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. The Word of God says, if I cherish a sin in my heart, God will not answer me. If I cherish a sin in my heart, God will not answer me. Psalm 66, 18. And so, my friend, I want you to take a moment and examine your life. What sin do I need to confess and to whom? Do I need to confess to God? Have I sinned against the Holy God? Do I need to confess to my spouse? Do I need to confess to a son or daughter? Do I need to confess to a father or mother? Do I need to confess to a brother or sister? Do I need to confess to a co-worker or a neighbor? And today... Today, make the decision to make that phone call that you've been dreading for a long time. God is going to go ahead of you. Today, make that decision to make the visit that you need to make. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.
org.